reading from Acts 20, 17 to 38. Okay. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus uh, for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing and by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from the house and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in, in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I, have, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build, build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not uh, coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of many companions. In everything I, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking... He knelt down with all, uh, all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him uh, to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 
Uh, loving God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this old, old text uh, talking about real people in the real time, uh, talking about people who loved you and whom you loved. Uh, thank you that it speaks truths to us that are still relevant for us so long afterwards. Uh, guide us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand your word and to apply its truths to our lives. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, in Washington, D.C., in a train station, in a cold January 2007 morning, a man with a violin played six pieces of music. Uh, during that time, about a thousand people walked through the train station, all on their way to work or somewhere. Uh, and about three minutes in, uh, one person stopped very slowly, stopped, but only stopped for a little bit, and then kept on walking. Uh, about four minutes later, this violinist received his first dollar. Uh, a woman threw a dollar in a hat uh, without stopping and continued to walk. Six minutes after that, a child wanted to stop. Uh, his mother didn't. This child stopped. He looked. He listened. But his mother, keen to keep her schedule going, dragged him away, kept dragging him away all the while while he was looking back, looking at this violinist. The action was repeated by several other mothers with their children on their way through. At 45 minutes in, uh, this m musician had played continuously. Only six people had stopped, even just for a little while, and watched and then continued at their normal pace. Uh, in all, he received about $32 US. After one hour of continuous playing, he stopped and silence took over. No one noticed, no one applauded. Uh, no one knew it, but this man, his name is Joshua Bell, you might have heard of him. He's uh, one of the world's most famous violinists. And uh, he played one of the most intricate pieces, or pieces, uh, uh, a number of pieces ever written. Uh, on a violin that's worth three and a half million dollars US. Uh, two days before, he had played at a sold-out Boston theatre uh, with seats on average a hundred dollars US. Um, and he was playing and people were listening to the very same music. Now, it's possible to ignore something of incredible worth, not realising its immense value. The Gospel tells us that Jesus came to earth. He lived, he taught, he did extraordinary things, but ultimately he died and rose again. And he did that all in order to draw a people to God who would be God's people and to show the watching world what it looked like to follow and obey God. Jesus considers his people to be of such immense value, of such surpassing worth, that he willingly gave up his life for them. Now, it's possible, and I think we do this all the time, to forget, even ignore, how precious God considers his people. Uh, we occasionally stop and notice, like those people in that train station. We stop and notice, but then we walk on by, uh, focused, maybe distracted by all those other things in life that demand our attention. Now, if you've been here over the yesterday, today, we've been talking about the habits of a healthy Christian life. These habits are sometimes called spiritual disciplines. It's not a particularly attractive name or term, but we call these things disciplines because our beliefs do not automatically change our behaviour. We need, we need these habits to drill the gospel from our head into our hearts over and over and over again so that we have the transformed life. One of the often forgotten spiritual disciplines 
is Christian community, spiritual friendship. It's not just turning up to church on a Sunday. It's having people in whose lives you are invested and whose lives are invested in you. Uh, Because this is crucial to know. This is crucial to know. When you become a Christian, you do not come closer, just come closer to God uh, by relationship with Jesus Christ. You're also brought closer into relationship with other Christian people. There will be relationships that are closer than you ever thought possible. But once again, there's a real possibility that we can misunderstand or ignore the immense value of what God has given each of us. And we can, we can walk by and not grasp hold of this tremendous privilege. So today, uh, we want to talk for a little while about the deep connections that it's possible for Christians to have with one another. We want to talk about spiritual friendship. And we're going to see three things. First of all, that spiritual friendship is crucial. Secondly, that it's candid. And thirdly, that it's close. Crucial, candid, close. Uh, So first of all, this deep friendship is crucial. Uh, Paul is travelling back to Greece, uh, from Greece to Jerusalem. And he's been on these missionary journeys for the past few decades. And life, by and large, has been predictable. It's been, by and large, predictable. But now things have changed. He's heading to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what fate will await him there. And from this moment in, life is going to get more difficult for him. On this beach, he's speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church, and he says to them in verse 22 that he's being compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he's being warned that when he goes to that city, he's going to be imprisoned, beaten, put on trial, locked up for a long time. There's going to be all sorts of hardships. And for the rest of his life, there's going to be trial after trial, long stretches in prison. His ministry is going to be curtailed so much, there's uncertainty about the future. And from here, we can see that Paul needs his friends more and more. They're crucial to him. You can read in the rest of the book of Acts uh, the trials and difficulties that Paul faces. You can read in some of his epistles, some of which are, are, are written while he's in prison, that Paul needs his friends more and more. They're crucial to him. We see what they mean to him. Now, the big impression that we get is that needing friends is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but of spiritual maturity. It's not a sign of weakness, but of strength. In fact, the Bible says straight from the beginning that we are wired for relationships. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, to the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, over and over and over again, we get this constant refrain when God creates. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. But there is one thing that is not good. And we know that. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for him to be alone. Remember, this is before the fall, before sin corrupts everything. It's not good for us to be alone, to live apart from other human beings. What this means is that Adam wasn't alone because he was imperfect. Remember, this is before the fall. The desire here for the result of companionship is not the result of sin. It's this desire that God has placed in each and every one of us. It is a wonderful desire that we need to have friends. We need to have people who are close to us. Now... This is important for us to absorb for two reasons. First of all, the reason why we need deep friendships is so we can be the people that God wants us to be. It's so we can be the people God wants us to be. 
Paul says in a lot of his letters, uh, for instance, in the book of Romans and in Ephesians, that one of the ways God helps us towards holiness and spiritual maturity is that he gives each of us gifts. He gives each of us gifts. Each of us has abilities, personalities, characteristics, talents, uh, resources. We're, We're not given these gifts in isolation from one another. We're given, so these are given so that we can build one another up using these gifts. Uh, Paul uses often the imagery of the human body. We're all different members of the one body, and we're all given different functions to contribute to one another in that one body. And Paul says we're not to be independent of one another, but interdependent on one another, so that we all function properly. We all function properly as each of us uses our different gifts to the mutual benefit of the others. Now, if you're a Christian, God is not only calling you into relationship with him through Jesus. He's calling you into a human community, a body of believers. And that's the way he intended to be. So that other people, these other members of this one body might use the gifts that they have been given to build you up, to build one another up, and you're supposed to do the same to them. We don't function, you don't function well as a Christian if you remain disconnected from other Christians. You will not fulfil the purpose that God has for you. You will be a dysfunctional Christian if if you're not intentional about seeking close relationships. In other words, to grow and thrive as a Christian, you need to be deeply connected with other people. The other reason why we need to absorb this is because we find it actually very hard to develop these kinds of friendships, these kinds of connections. There are plenty of reasons why we find it hard. Um, First, I think that living in a place like Hong Kong Uh, is transient. Life is transient. People come and go. People come and go for jobs and for all sorts of particular reasons. You move around, you change jobs, you meet different people. And it takes time getting to know people, right? It takes time and it takes a lot of emotional effort. And most of us, we say to ourselves, I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to go through that again. Uh, People just keep going and it's too exhausting. Sometimes it's an age problem. If you're anything like me, you get older and you get more set in your ways, more inflexible. Um, You realise that people will let you down. Uh, They'll disappoint you and hurt you and frustrate you. And just because we're all Christians doesn't mean that socially we get along with each other all the time. A lot of Christians I find odd, but I'm odd. And so you avoid getting into deep relationships with people where you're vulnerable. It's hard. But perhaps a universal reason why we find these types of friendships quite hard is that we're all consumers. Um, Most of our relationships are are consumer relationships. That means we get a product or a service at an acceptable cost. Most of our relationships are like that with your employee, with your landlords, with your gyms, your clubs, your phone companies. They're consumer relationships. That means we're getting the benefit from them at an acceptable cost, but once we can get a better deal somewhere else, or the cost is too high, we're gone. We cut off that relationship. And that's often the case with our friendships. If the friendship starts to become too inconvenient, if that person is too needy, or it's just too uncomfortable, what do we do? We don't invest in it, we cut it off. We're out of there. Uh, 
Paul Tripp is a guy who's a pastor and a counsellor and an author. He also has a tremendous moustache. Get past that. And he said something that was really comforting to me. He says, we live in interwoving, not comforting, confronting. It was confronting to me. We live in interwoven networks of terminally casual relationships. We live with the delusion that we know one another, but we really don't. We call our easygoing, self-protective and often theologically friendly conversations fellowship. But they seldom ever reach the threshold of true fellowship. We know cold demographic details about one another, whether we're single or married, the type of job, the number of kids, where we live. But we know very little about the struggle of faith that is waged every day behind well-maintained personal boundaries. Privatism is not just practiced by the lonely unbeliever, it's rampant in the church as well. In other words, we struggle going deep. We struggle finding that sort of intimate spiritual friendship that all of us so desperately need. And so if we need these types of friendships and yet we struggle so much to get them, how can we get them? How is it possible? What's the key? Well, what do these friendships look like when we try to build them up? That's something that we can catch a glimpse of in this particular scene on the beach with the Ephesian elders. Friendship, first of all, is candid. It's candid. In other words, it's based on truth. Um, did you see all the way in this speech that Paul has with the Ephesian elders on this beach? He's reminding them all the time about what he spoke about, his, his message to them during his ministry amongst them. He's talking about this truth. He's drilling it in. He's repeating it all over again. He's talking about how he shared this truth in all possible ways to all possible people at all possible times. So he shared, first of all, all possible truth. What truth? We'll have a look from verse 24. I consider my life not worth living to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The gospel of God's grace, according to verse 24, means turning to God in repentance and making Jesus as your saviour. That's been Paul's priority from the outset. With He's been very clear to proclaim the truth. Something that he calls in verse 27, the whole counsel of God. So he shared all possible truth, but he's also shared it with all possible people. Did you notice that? He says in verse 21, I've declared this gospel to both Jews and Greeks. In other words, he's concerned about the whole population. He's not playing favorites. So he shared this truth, all possible truth with all possible people, but he's also done it in all possible ways. Uh, in verse 20, he says he's declared it privately and publicly. For a span of three years, he declared this truth night and day, privately in people's houses, publicly in synagogues, and in, 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 in large crowds, in front of large crowds. In fact, Paul preached in the great uh, theatre of Ephesus. You can still go there today along the Arcadian Way. It was a theatre that seated 20,000 people. We know that Paul preached there. Rewind a little bit to Acts chapter 19. Paul preached there and it caused such a commotion that a riot ensued and he had to flee the city. Paul was absolutely relentless. He shared all possible truth to all possible people in all possible ways. Now, why is he reminding these elders of this? Well, it's because of verse 28. 
He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. He's standing firm on the truth. He's reminding them of the truth because he knows once he leaves, there'll be people who come in and distort the truth. And so he's saying to them, watch out, watch out for these people. (coughs) Now, let me be clear. Paul is drilling this into them because this truth is foundational to their relationship. This unity that they have in the gospel. This is what's bonded them together. Because here's the thing. The essence of any friendship is what you have in common with one another. Um, Look, here you have this incredibly intimate and beautiful scene on this beach, Paul and his friends. And at the end of chapter 20, we see them kneeling down with one another. They're kneeling down and it's incredibly intimate and emotional. They're praying with one another. They're saying their goodbyes, kissing and hugging one another. what, What makes you friends is not that you're kneeling down towards one another saying, do you want to be my friend? That's kind of weird. What makes you friends is that you're kneeling down towards the same thing. You have something in common that brings you together. The essence of friendship is that you have the same priority. What makes us friends is not that we're kneeling towards each other saying, you know, tell me how our friendship is going. No, no, no. You're both looking at something in common, a common background, a common experience, a common interest, a common hobby, something that brings you together. Now, what's the common bond of this friendship? Well, it's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the gospel. On this beach, you get a physical picture of this spiritual friendship. They're both kneeling to the same saviour. They're both centred on the same God. They're both doing this in an incredible way. Their lives have been transformed by this common bond. And when this common bond happens, there's the possibility of this extraordinary friendship. It can happen regardless of background, regardless of language, regardless of social class, regardless of where you live, regardless of your other social interests, two people who are transformed by the same gospel kneeling before the same saviour can become friends no matter where you used to be beforehand. And therefore, you can use the truth to speak into one another's lives. Now, sometimes speaking the truth will mean saying uncomfortable things, inconvenient things, difficult things for the good of others. A good example of this is the example of Odysseus. I'm not sure if you know your Greek mythologies, okay? I know some, not many. But Odysseus is from the Odyssey. Odysseus was this guy who, with his friends, was just trying to get back home. But it was a long journey. He was a captain of this boat, this ship, and he was just trying to get back home. But the problem was the island of the Sirens. The island of the Sirens, they had to go past there. And Odysseus knew that there was a problem because these sirens, these women, would sing from the rocks and their songs would be so captivating that it would drive the sailors, these male sailors, wild with desire. And they'd steer the ships towards these singing to the rocks and they'd get shipwrecked and everyone would die. (laughs) And Odysseus knew this, right? And so he gathers his friends on this ship together 
And before he puts wax in their ears, he explains to them, listen, we're in danger. I'm going to tie myself to the mast and I'm going to say crazy things and I'm going to act crazy. But what I need you to be is my friends. And I just need you to keep on rowing and ignore me. Give me what I need, not what I want. Be my friends until I come to my senses. In other words, give me what I need, not what I, not what I want. And that's what Christian fellowship is like. Here's why. Do you really believe what the Bible says to you about your sin? It's one way of saying, you know, it's one thing saying, I know I'm a sinner. But it's another thing saying, can you talk to me about my sin? You know, there are many recurrent problems in our lives, many sins, many, many sins that lie just below the surface of the water. Sailors normally get shipwrecked by rocks that they cannot see, and it's the same thing with our sin. We get shipwrecked by those sins that we're ignorant about or just too complacent about. This sin that drags us down are things that we're normally blind to or we rationalise away. Most dangerous sins are the things that we, we deceive ourselves about. So being a mature Christian means knowing that and giving permission to other Christians in your life to speak into your situation. You need to say to your friends, look, I'm a Christian, I know I'm, I, I'm supposed to behave like a Christian. The Bible says I should be forgiving, but I hold grudges. The Bible says that I shouldn't be filled with self-pity, but I, I find that so often I'm self-absorbed and can't stop thinking about my own situation. I'm, I'm sorry for myself all the time. The Bible tells me that I should pursue purity, that I shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, but I really struggle with that. You see, when I'm doing those types of things, you need to give me what I need, not what I want. I want you to come after me, keep me on course, otherwise I'm going to be shipwrecked on the rocks. So real friendship is based on truth. It's absolutely candid. The truth of the gospel and being prepared to speak this truth with others. So it's candid, it's truthful, but also it's close. It's incredibly loving. Um, Paul said in his letter to the Ephesians that it's important for us to be able to speak the truth in love. Truth with love. It's hard for us to do because we often veer one of each ways. We can be incredibly truthful. We can stand for the truth all the time with one another, but we can do so in a way that's hard, unsympathetic, unloving. Right? We can say things to, to even wound one another. Or we can be very loving. We want to be very affirming, encouraging, embracing all the time, inclusive. But often we do that at the expense of truth. There's a tremendous tension. So how do Paul and his friends do this? How do they navigate this tension? Well, I think there are a few things that we can spot about their relationship that is both, both candid and close, both truthful and, and loving. Uh, first of all, they share their time. Uh, Paul is going to Jerusalem, and what happens? Some of his friends go with him. They go with him knowing full well of the danger that's facing him and therefore them as well, that he's going to be arrested and imprisoned. But they still go. They want to be with him. You know, every... Every other kind of love, apart from friendship love, 
Every other kind of love kind of forces its way upon you due to biological or social necessity. Romantic love forces its way upon us because of our hormones. I'm being simplistic. Uh, Family love forces its way upon you because of those biological bonds. You just, you don't choose your family, you're stuck with them. You have to love them. Uh, But but friendship love is different, right? Uh, Because we don't have the similar sort of forces and obligations involved. Uh, Friendships have to be much more intentional. You have to almost plan them. You have to invest the time. Um, They can therefore get easily squeezed out because you have other demands, other things in life that you have to worry about. It takes time and effort. And to be honest, it's hard to speak into someone's life unless you've built up the relational capital, the time beforehand. You cannot say hard truths in a loving way if you don't know that person very well, right? So it takes time. Second, Paul and his friends share their feelings. Um, Look at them on the beach. I know they're Mediterranean men, and so they're happy with personal touch. (laughs) The first time, I'm from Belgium, okay, well, my mother is, and all my cousins are from Belgium. I grew up in Australia. Men don't do personal touch in Australia, but Belgian men do. And every time I go and see my cousins, they kiss me. My male cousins I'm talking about, not on the lips, it's weird, but four (laughs) times on the cheek. Okay, it takes a little bit of time. Here are guys who are willing to express their feelings. I only express my feelings when sport is involved with other guys. But we need to do this in all sorts of situations. Third, they share their things. Uh, Notice that Paul was staying with his friends. There's hospitality. They're sharing their food, their money, their, their, their homes. You can't be friends unless you're willing to share your things. But then fourth, they share their decision. Later on in the next chapter, in chapter 21, one of Paul's friends is told by the Holy Spirit what's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem, that he's going to be arrested and imprisoned. And he tells this to Paul. He says this to Paul. He says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, that's it with your missionary career. You're done. He doesn't withhold this truth from Paul. And Paul answers him, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound but to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Notice this guy doesn't tell Paul, Paul, you're crazy, you're an idiot. If you go there, our friendship is done. Neither does Paul say, why are you speaking to me? Don't you know I have to go? Just shut up. No, 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 that doesn't happen. They're talking about it. Any view of the Spirit's guidance, the Spirit's guidance that leaves out the input of Christian friendship is far too mechanistic. God brings us together and he wants us to seek guidance and advice from one another in our decisions. Paul is never on his own. He's never saying, mind your own business. No, he needs his friends there with him. So, spiritual friendship is both candid and close. It's based on truth and love, sharing your time, your feelings, your things, your your decisions. Now, I realise I'm pushing a lot of stuff on you and... A lot of you might be kind of new to the faith and you're thinking, oh, this is what Christianity is about and I have to hang out with Christians and they're sometimes odd and they're going to demand a lot of my time. That's quite some fine print. I'm not sure if I want to sign up on that. But friendship is costly. Any friendship is. And the gospel we know came at a cost. The gospel shows us that. The night before Jesus died, he gathers his disciples together, his friends, these guys, 
over the past three years, who he just was frustrated with, and he had to explain things time and time and time again to them. These guys who would soon abandon him, and he knows that. He brings them together and says, you know, God is creating a new human community, and I'm calling you my friends because everything that I've heard from my Father, I'm telling to you. And greater love has no man than he gives up his life for his friends. Here is Jesus, the friend of sinners, who died and rose again so that we can become friends with God. Once you take into your heart who Jesus is and what he has done for us, then it's then that we have the strength, the love, the resources to invest sacrificially in the lives of others. Now, I'm going to go off script here a little bit. Women find this easier than men. They're just wired more relationally. Okay? I look at my wife and, and, and she's on WhatsApp, she's on Facebook, she runs all these studies. She's constantly meeting with other women. She finds it easy. I find it a little bit tougher. Okay? And guys find it a little bit tougher because we need to do things whilst we're in order to share. Okay? We need to watch sport or enjoy a meal or barbecue or hike or build something. Uh, and I'm really encouraged that you guys have a men's ministry and gents, if you are not involved in that, invest in that. It is well worth your time and wives encourage your men to do it because they'll be better husbands and better fathers as a result. Men find it harder than women. Men find it harder to go in depth. But can I encourage you over and over and over again, what you need most in life is deep relationships, not just with Jesus Christ, but with those around you. God has brought us together. We've got this unique and unfathomable bond. Don't neglect this gift. Don't misunderstand this gift of immeasurable price and value. Grab a hold of it and invest in it deeply. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray. Loving God and Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that when you call us into relationship with you, you also call us into relationship with other people, other sinners, but other people who have been saved by grace, saved by your Son, Jesus. Lord, help us to persevere in friendship. Give us wisdom. Give us the ability to forgive. Give us grace. Help us to invest in the lives of those around us. Help us to be intentional because friendship is not easy. Uh, we have to plan it. We have to persevere. Guide and direct us. And thank you for this group at Chatin. Uh, thank you for the wonderful opportunity we've had this weekend to just immerse ourselves in your word and get to know one another more deeply. Guide and direct us, Lord. Uh, guide and direct this community. Help them to be the community that you want them to be. Lord, help us all the while to run the race that you've set out before us. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's a wonderful saviour. There's no one better that we can serve. So help us to encourage one another along the way. We pray these things in his name. Amen.